We live in Australia and there are a dime a dozen all over the place. If you don't have a Bible, I could be pulling your leg, feeding you a whole bunch of rubbish right now and you won't know. It's true. It's why I suggest bring your Bible, people. It's amazing now. We've got it on all kinds of formats. You've got it on your phones and digital. I don't care how you got it, but you make sure that, that no matter who you are listening to, I don't care where you are, I don't care who the preacher is, you make sure that they are speaking the truth to you. At the end of the day, you are responsible for your spiritual growth and your walk with God. We are here to assist and help, but responsibility for my walk with God falls on me. I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, but I read this great man of God's book and he said this and so I did all this with my life and God goes, yeah, but it wasn't even right. Anyway, if you've got a Bible there, Joshua chapter 1. Last week we began to talk, we shared a little bit about the building. So those of you that weren't here, um, best way to get that information is jump on last week's podcast on iTunes, arisechurch.com um, and uh, you'll jump on there and, and uh, listen to last week's <laughs> message. It was absolutely fantastic. You'll love it. And when you finish with that one, go back and go, oh, hang on, I meant Arise Church Canelabar, not the guy over in New Zealand. Uh, and then click on mine and listen to my one as well. And uh, he is, by the way. I, 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 quite, I often hope that, that people will jump on his one uh, and, and not see his name and go, wow, that guy can preach like nothing. That's fantastic. But uh, anyway... I can't plagiarise any of his messages either because if some of you do listen to him, I'll just... Truth, truth, doesn't matter who says it. Um, last week we began to talk about a little bit about the building, shared some thoughts with you about uh, the next step for us as a, a church and we've been feeling for a while, quite a long time now, uh, that God has been saying to us, I didn't bring you together just to meet in the back room of the GSAC where nobody knows you exist, nobody knows you are. Um, and, and there's no way for people to know unless, of course, anyone sitting here has personally spoken to them or invited them. There's no signage out the front. There's no street signs. Uh, there's nothing that, there no control that we necessarily have out the front of the building to let people know, hey, if you are uh, looking for a, a, a church, then we're here. Or, uh, you know, if you uh, don't yet know Christ, but something moves upon your heart, the Spirit of God moves upon you and you want to go somewhere and find out more about God, you wake up Sunday morning and you went for a walk or whatever, you, you wouldn't find us. So we feel like for a long time God's been pointing us to the fact that this is just for a season here, but he wants to give us our own place. He wants to give us our own facility. Uh, so we shared a bit about that last week. We put a picture up there. And for those of you that weren't here, it's just down the end of Oliver Avenue. This road to the right here is Oliver Avenue. Follow it right down, right down towards the end, and it's basically the second last building on your right-hand side. You can't miss it. It's the only big blue-looking uh, painted one. So go and have a look at it. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to do a lot of things that we, uh, at the moment, are logistically difficult to do, and that is uh, prayer meetings, finding places for prayer meetings, finding places to run our, our uh, men's programs that we've got uh, ready to go and some of the women's programs, and, and particularly the biggest one on my heart is the youth. Um, two weeks ago when the youth kicked off, they met on the most dangerous beach in Australia, um, Lighthouse Beach in Balna. Uh, so they met down there. Uh, and then last uh, Friday, the, the following week, they met in our house and now our house has become the most dangerous home in Australia uh, with all these young kids running around and all these little plastic bugs that we're finding everywhere. I don't know what the game was, but they've, they've had a, a little plastic bugs like scorpions and centipedes and plastic and we have been finding them all. I don't know what you did. We are finding them all over the house. So I was sitting on the lounge yesterday and Jackie went to put the fan on because it was hot and something flew off the fan and landed on my lap and it's a big centipede and... Uh, 
they're all over the place. But whatever you did, it's fun. The, the kids are having a good time. And these guys have got some great vision, some great ideas about what they want to do with the youth. But I think we owe it to them. Let's get, get a place where they can meet. So there's a place they can call their own. Uh, kids can come to. They can bring their friends to. So there's a lot of benefits to us uh, having that facility. Uh, it means 24-7 access and use as opposed to four hours here on a Sunday morning and we go and that's it. So we had a bit of a chat about that last week. So if you get a chance, jump on the podcast and have a listen to that. But it brought up a... When I was, I was looking and thinking about this, it's brought up a, a uh, conundrum for me. And I hope I've used that word right. I'm not the most literate human, but I just felt like that was the appropriate time to say the word conundrum. It is a good word. I thought my wife would be... She's just graduated. She's graduated now, about to, about to, about to go and do the... Yep. She's about to go and do the hat-throwing thing now, so if I'm not sure of a word, I just ask this conundrum, is that right use of it? Come on. And the conundrum is this. Why? What is it about God that when the children of Israel were on the other side of the Jordan and they were out of bondage and set free from Egypt and they wandered around for all this time, because they grumbled, complained to God, right? They did the, the whinging, complaining. And so they never got to go into the promised land because of their attitude and so on. But they stayed on the other side of the Jordan, but God still provided everything for them. Their shoes didn't wear out, the Bible says. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandal straps didn't come undone and all that stuff. They had manna coming down daily from heaven and water from the rock, and God would appear uh, as, as, a, as a big uh, uh, fire at night. Uh, and then during the day is a cloud and he would lead them. All these, um, all these things that in reality, if I think about what they got for their disobedience, I go, gee, I'd love that. I'd love that. I would love God, yeah. I would love God to, to be that evident to me and visible to me every day like a cloud that I could follow him around. I would love at night time for a big flame of fire to be there and to be able to follow that flame of fire around. I would, you'd never miss it. It's hard to miss. In the middle of a desert, there's no light bulbs, there's no electricity, nothing like that, and there's a big fire. It's not hard to find God. If you were standing there in the middle of nowhere, wouldn't it, where's God? Where's, oh, there he is, the big fire. That's God. I would love to not ever have to replace my converse. I would love to not have to replace my shoes. It would be fantastic. As a matter of fact, to just get out of bed every day, put the same pair of shoes on, not have to go through the, the, the conundrum of what shoes should I wear. Used it twice now, very impressive. Um, you know, to just whack on a pair of shoes and know that they will never wear out. Any, any of you uh, had that, that battle with school kids, with children at school? For some reason, it doesn't matter what pair of shoes you get them, they'll last about three and a half days and they've got a hole in it. I don't know what kids do at school these days, but three and a half days and they've got a hole in their shoes. Well, guess what? The Israelites didn't have to worry about that because the, the, the shoes didn't perish. So they'd put their kids' shoes on for school and go, here's your shoes. And the kids could do whatever they wanted, scrape their toes. Guess what? The shoes didn't wear out. I'd love that. What a blessing. And they got all that for being disobedient. I'm getting to my point. I'm not encouraging you to be disobedient. But I'm saying that is the conundrum. They're over here and they're not doing the right thing. And all these blessings, are, are what we would perceive to be blessings today upon them. Manna from heaven every day, water, all the, everything's happening there. But then when they cross into the promised land, when those who, who are obedient and say yes to God get the opportunity to go into the promised land, what happens in the promised land? All of a sudden, all these things that were provided and given to you on a day, now you've got to work for them. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? 
It just doesn't seem to make sense. It's kind of like a blessing flipped up the other way. You would think that this is the blessing, but God's going, no, no, this is not the blessing over here. The real blessing is over here. The real blessing is, means that you have to do something. In order to attain the real blessing, you're a part of this process. I'm not just going to do everything for you like I did over here on this side of the Jordan. Now, once you're over here, now you've got to be a part of the process. In Joshua chapter 21, and verse 43, it says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they conquered it and settled there. So God made a promise to them, to their ancestors. He made a promise. He said, I've got something for you. I'm going to give you something. There's a, a possession that I have. And in their case, it was land. It was a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. And he said, I've made a promise that you will have this. This is yours. I'm going to give this to you. And if you go back and you look at the book of Numbers in particular, and you see some of the journey and that through this process, it's very clear that the way they understood this was that God had already given it to them. They just had to go and take possession of it. They weren't called to go in and fight to, to get it. You have to win the fight. No, God said, I've already fought. I've already won the battles. I'm asking you to go in and to possess. So two things happen when it comes to the promises of God. One is that God gives to them something. And the second thing is that they had to go and take possession of what God gave them. God makes a promise to you. That's what he does. He makes promises to us. He says things to us. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to do this. Uh, This is the plan I have. This is whatever. But there's another part to that process, and that is once we have that promise, we've then got to go and take possession of that land. So it got me thinking about this whole process of taking possession. What does it mean? to take possession, practically speaking. What does it mean? What, what, what's required of us to lay a hold of that which God has already given to us? Because there are things that God has already given to us. And there are things that further down the track in your walk with God, he's going to speak to you and he's going to say to you, I want to give you this. I want to take you to this place. He's going to give you promises about things in your world. So what do we do when we know what the promise is, when we have the promise? What do we do? How do we practically take possession of those things? Numbers 23 and verse 19 says this. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. God does not tell lies. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Of course he hasn't. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the inferred answer there is no. If God says something, it's true. If God says this is how it is, then this is how it is. I might not feel like it. I might not think it. I might not see it. But if God says this is how it is, that settles it. Because God is not a man that he should tell lies. And God has a camera angle and a perspective on life and the world around us and who I am that I don't have. So when God gives a promise to me, when God says something to me, I can take that to the bank. But there's still a process, there's still something that's required of me in order to walk into that, in order to lay a hold of everything that God has for me. The process of the promise was this, God gave it to them, number one, and then number two, they had to take possession of what God gave to them. 
Um, my, uh, our, our son Jonathan's not here today, but he got given a gift this week. Uh, last, sorry, last week. He got given a motor vehicle. He's on his learners at the moment, and uh, he's you know, trying to do his 120 hours and get that bit of independence that comes with your own licence and so on. And he's been diligently saving up money. He's been doing a really, really wonderful job, actually. It's saving money. He wants to buy his own car, and he's always researching and so on. But last week, somebody blessed him with a car. They gave him a motor vehicle uh, running with uh, about a few months, six months, whatever registration on it. They gave him a car. But did you know in order, even though the car was his, they jumped online and they did the notice of disposal. So the car was no longer theirs. They had already said the car is yours. But there was a process that I had to go through in order to get that car. There's a process that he had to go through in order to take what was given to him and to actually make it his. I had to go on in and I had to pick it up. So I got my other son, Caleb, to pick me up in the car one morning on his way to work in Lismore. He picked me up and drove me up there and I had to to go to the house where it was. I had to walk up to the front door. I've never been to this house. I had to knock on the door. I had to wait for somebody to open the door. I had to wait for them to hand me the keys. Then they handed me the notice of of the, the, the registration transfer slip. Then I had to go out the front door down to the car. I've never driven that car before. I had to get in that car. I had to start the engine. Then I had to drive that car all the way down to Ballina and uh, park it in the front of our house. And then Jonathan came home. Then I had to get Jonathan to sign these bits of paper to say that he was going to take possession of the car and transfer the registration. See, the car was his, but there was a process to go with that too. So he has to transfer registration. Then I had to go down to the RTA and I had to hand in a bit of paper, wait in line, hand in a bit of paper. Then they had to take that bit of paper, they had to punch in the computer, make sure it was all kosher and everything like that. And when that was all good, then they pushed a few buttons. Then they said to me, stick your little plastic card in that, that little thing there and we'll take some money off you for that. So I had to go and place the card in there and punch in numbers and they took some money out of my account and I came home and then I handed him that piece of paper and said, congratulations, Jonathan, you have now taken possession of that which has been given to you. There's always a process when it comes to taking possession. How many of you know that salvation is not a free gift? You had to do something in that process, did you not? Did you not have to repent? Did you not have to come to a place in your life where you decided, I'm not going to go this way anymore, I'm now going to make a choice to stop going this way, surrender my life to God and turn and follow God? Salvation may cost you nothing, but it costs somebody something. Nothing costs anybody nothing. There's always a cost involved. And salvation costs a lot. Did you know everything that that needed to happen for your salvation happened 2,000 years ago? It doesn't matter. I don't know what your journey with God has been. I don't know what year you bowed your knee to him and surrendered and said, Lord, take, take my life. Do with me what you will. Lead me, guide me. Show me the future that you have me. So, I don't know wh- where you were, how old you were when you did that. But how many of you know that, that when you did that, Jesus didn't get crucified on a cross in that moment for you? Salvation was already purchased. There was a promise already made to the world. That same promise is out there right now. For everybody that's rejecting God, that promise stands for them. The difference is you did something. You took a hold of a certain process and you activated that truth in your life. You took a hold of something which was already promised and given to mankind. And that was that we could have access back to the Father through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. But you did something. There was a process for you to lay a hold of that which has been given to us. Now, the journey of our Christian life, that's what it's about. It's about learning what the process is and how to take a hold of all that stuff that God has already 
given to you. And it started with salvation. Salvation was given to you, but you had to go through a process to get to it. And there are so many other things that God has promised to us. So many other things that God has given to us that we need to learn how to take possession of. We need to go through a certain process, find out what is that process, God, practically speaking, how do I take possession of that which you want to give to me? How did the children of Israel take possession of the promised land? They had to do something. They had to go through a process. Just because God says this is yours does not mean that you are just going to magically walk in it because God said it's yours. You have to do something. Just like the children of Israel had to do something once they got into the promised land. They had to do things in conjunction with God to lay a hold of that which God had already given to them. So what is that process? So for the next couple of weeks, I just want to throw out a couple of thoughts about that process. What is that process? And the first thing in that process is this. You need to, first of all, know what is yours. You need to know what's yours. If I was to ask you, what has God given to you? What would your response be? If I was to say to you, what has God given to you? What are the promises of God to you personally? What would be your response? What would you say to me? If you were to sit down with somebody in this church now and we were to to break up into pairs and say, I want you to list to somebody, what are the promises of God to you? I'll tell you what, I think we would be amazed at how many of the promises of God we do not lay hold of. How many of the promises of God we do not take possession of. And a large reason for that is because we don't know what a lot of the promises are. I did some research this week and uh, I looked at uh, lost superannuation. Anyone ever Googled lost super? Did you know in this country right now there's over 19, uh, is it million or billion? Let Let me make sure I get my facts right. I wrote it down here. There is $19 million. $19 million sitting around this country in lost superannuation accounts. I actually, just for interest's sake, I googled this postcode here of Ganelaba. You know, there's uh, uh, six, six, what was it? Let me get my figures right again so I don't lead you up a garden path. But in Ganelabar alone, there was 600,000 or something like that in lost super. That's just in this one little postcode. There's $600,000. It was actually more than that. In lost superannuation sitting in here. So in other words, people have worked in this particular facility or they have been uh, uh, living in this area when they had these superannuation accounts and they've moved on to other things and they have forgotten about it. But it's sitting there. They own it. It's theirs. But guess what? You know why it's sitting there? Because they don't know that they own it. They don't know what's there that's actually theirs to take. It's not actually lost super. We know exactly where it is. It's being held by the government in, in funds. We know exactly where it is. It's not lost. As a matter of fact, the government have got websites going, we've got this money. All you need to do is go to a certain website, punch in your name, push a button, and we will tell you how many accounts that you have in your name that you have forgotten about. I did this a few years ago. I went and I, I punched in my name, and I found three super accounts that I'd completely forgotten about. There wasn't tons and tons of money in them, but guess what? It was my money. It was my money, and I didn't know it existed there. But just because I didn't know it existed didn't mean it wasn't mine. It was mine. It was sitting there waiting for me to claim it, waiting for me to lay a hold of it. Sounds a lot like the Christian life. 
There's so much stuff that God has given to us, so much stuff that God has for us, but because we don't know it exists, we don't go after it. Because we don't know it exists, we don't believe for it. We don't stand on it. Because we don't know it exists, we don't action anything in our world to go towards grabbing a hold of that stuff. How many of you know that if you try to take possession of something that's not legally yours, you can get into all sorts of trouble? Who knows that? When I was a kid, I used to... That's a bad thing, isn't it? Don't take possession of something that's not legally yours. When I was a child, I had a really bad habit of doing that. Uh, of, 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 it wasn't my fault. It was the silly fish and chip man who decided to put his ice cream fridge right in the corner, right near the door, so us kids could just reach in and grab... I mean, it wasn't... You know? You put a temptation like that in front of a child like me and it, it's, it was easy to happen. But if you're trying to take possession of something that's not legally yours, you can end up in all kinds of trouble. When we were living in India... A preacher, we used to get lots of international preachers would come through India and, uh, because India is a very needy place. and lots, lots of people would come and do crusades and things like that. And I remember this one particular guy, he came on in and he did an evangelistic crusade and he called the sick and he prayed for the sick. But here's what he did. He called a little child forward at one meeting and he prayed for that child and the parents of the child were there. And at the end of that prayer, he said to the parents, go home, throw away the child's medication. God has healed your child. By his stripes, you are healed. Just stand on it, believe it, throw away the medication, die about it. Within 48 hours, that child died. Within 48 hours, that child died. You can imagine the impact that had on the church in our city. You can imagine the impact it had in a predominantly Hindu city on, and how the, the, the Christians were viewed. You can imagine what it felt like for the next person that was coming in to do the right thing and to try to preach and to share the love of Jesus. You can imagine the ripple effect and the impact that that had. And that happened because somebody tried to lay a hold of something that wasn't legally theirs. Now, I don't want to talk about healing right now, per se. I don't want to talk about that scripture. Let me put it out there. I believe 100% in a God that heals the sick. I believe 100% in a God that raises the dead, in a God that, that, that sets people free. No problem with that. But we've got to know what is ours if we're going to stand on it and claim it and hold it. If we don't and we try finding ourselves standing on things that aren't legally ours, that's when people's faith gets totally shipwrecked. That's when the name of God gets tarnished because people want to wave promises out. Hang on a second, go back, have a look at that. Is this really for you? Is this really what God is saying? So we need to know what is ours so we can stand for what is ours and avoid the excesses of standing for things that aren't necessarily always ours. Now, not everybody gets healed. I don't know why. Like I said, I'm not here today to preach on healing. What I want to talk about is we need to know the promises of God for us so that, A, we are believing God for everything that he laid a hold of us for, so that we are standing and, uh, on everything that God wants to give to us, everything that Jesus died on that cross for us to have, and so that we're not over here fighting for things that aren't legally ours, and we end up getting shipwrecked faith and shipwrecked lives. Let me just uh, throw a couple of thoughts at you here. In the Bible, I want to give you a couple of things. The, the Word of God, God gives us two types of promises. The first one is inclusive promises. Inclusive promises are ones where all of mankind are included. The promise of salvation is an inclusive promise. Anybody that meets those requirements 
is, is promised by God that you will be saved. There are inclusive promises, things that we, every one of us can lay a hold of, stand on, take to the bank and know that God will support our stance on this because it's, it's what he said to us. Then there are exclusive promises. Exclusive promises are those moments where God comes to you and says to you specifically, perhaps about a specific situation you're in right now, you know, don't give up hope. Uh, I'm going to heal you. I know the doctors are saying this, but I'm saying to you, you will be healed. Or God comes to you and says, I know you feel like this, this is the end of the world, this situation, but trust me, believe me, I've got something better for you down the track. Those moments where the Spirit of God speaks to us and gives us an exclusive promise. It's not necessarily for everybody. You don't then go around and say, well, God told me that, that, that I will be healed uh, of this uh, deadly disease or God spoke specifically into my spirit that I'm going to find the right man to marry one day or that he has a, a husband out there or a wife out there for me or God spoke to me and told me I'm going to have children even though the medical world is saying no. There's those promises that come exclusively to us and are for us and we don't take those promises and then run around and tell everybody you've got to believe the same as me. Some promises are just for you. A classic is Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know that promise, don't we? What does it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Right? That promise, as much as we apply the spirit of it to our world right now, that promise was made to a specific group of people at a specific time. Israel, in captivity in Babylon, under slavery going through all kinds of oppressive uh, scenarios and situations, and God comes to them in the midst of that and gives them this promise. I know the plans I have for you. You go on, you read the rest of that passage, and God's saying something to a group of people at a specific time. And there are promises in the Word of God for people at specific times, but there are also promises in here that are inclusive for all of us. The point is this. We need to know what is ours. And I think in the Christian world, one of our problems is we don't know what's ours because we don't go to the place where we find it out enough. We don't go to the word of God enough to find out what are the promises that are there for me, God? What have you said about my life? Let me just throw a couple of things at you the Bible says. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that's an inclusive promise for everybody sitting in this room right now. If you have struggled with sin, if you have things in your life, sin is a, an, an ancient word that literally was an archery term that meant missing the mark. A guy would stand here with his arrow and he'd pull and he would shoot it. And they didn't have microphones back in the day, so some poor guy would be standing right up there near the target. And let's hope that it's a good aim because a little bit to the left and this guy might not be able to communicate. And so he would pull the trigger, pull the arrow and go bang, and if it fell short of the target, the guy down there would look up and go, Sin! In other words, you fell short of the mark. That's what it meant. And, and, and this verse here is saying, if we confess our sins each time when we fall short of the mark of God, if we confess that, open our mouth and speak it out to God, here's the promise. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's a promise you can take to the bank. How many of you, when you do something wrong or make a mistake, you confess it to God, but then you feel like, I've got to do something more. What else now I've got to, oh, I can confess it to God, but now I've got to prove for the next 48 hours that I won't make the same mistake. Then, well, you know what? You're not standing on the promise of God. This is a promise of God to you. You won't have to work for it. He says one thing. If you confess it to me, bring it out into the open, I'll forgive you. Bang, right there, over. Don't drag it around with you for the next 48 hours, the next week, the next month. 
Believe God. Stand on that promise. And when your conscience nags you, or the voice of the enemy comes and nags you, or the voice of another human being comes and tries to drag you back to that moment and nag you, you stand firm on that. Because this is what the Word of God says. This is an inclusive promise to every one of us. Any one of you that struggle with sin, any one of you that have missed the mark, confess it to God, He will forgive you. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you think. This is a promise of God in the Word of God for you. Lay a hold of it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Here's a promise of God, an inclusive promise, that you will have victory over temptation. You will have victory over temptation. How many of you ever get tempted? I get tempted. There are things in life that tempt me to go a direction I don't want to go. There are moments in life where I'm tempted to say something I know I shouldn't say, to think something I know I shouldn't think, to maybe do something I know I shouldn't do. Those moments come to me. And you know what? I'm not a victim in those moments. You know why I'm not a victim? Because God has promised to me in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that first of all, whatever temptation I'm going through right now, he believes I can handle it. He believes I can handle it. I might not, but hey, it tells me right there, he says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure, what you can handle. So whatever temptation you're feeling that you feel like is too strong for you, God's up there going, this is not too strong for you. I see strength in you. I have faith in you. I believe in you, and I'm not letting nothing come upon you that's going to kill you or destroy you. I believe you can handle this. That's God's perspective of it. When temptation comes, we go, I can't deal with this. God's going, you can deal with this, because I won't let it come any stronger than necessary. I will not let you be overcome. It's my promise. And then he also says on top of that, and even if you feel like you can't endure it, I will always provide a way out for you. Always. It's his promise to us. So when I'm in the middle of temptation, God says there's always a way out. Always. I will give you an opportunity to walk away. I will give you an opportunity to press the off button. I will give you an opportunity to to block your ears. I will give you an opportunity to put your hands down. I will always give you an opportunity so that you will not be overcome by temptation because it's a promise of God that you will have victory over temptation. How many of us, we all struggle with temptation, how many of us grab a hold of that promise and stand on it? How many of us make a conscious choice to grab that promise and go, no, this is the promise of God to me, I'm going to stand on this. When I'm feeling tempted, I'm going to stand on this one because this one helps me overcome temptation. I remind myself God has promised me. It's a promise from God for all of us. And how many of us just roll with it? Just feel like, oh, well, you know, maybe next time I'll get it right. Maybe next time I'll get it right. Maybe next time I'll get it right. Let me tell you something. There are promises here from God for you. But it's no good if you don't know them. First thing we need to do is know what is ours. Victory over sin, victory over temptation is ours. James 1.5 says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Who needs wisdom in their life? I need wisdom. I need wisdom. I am hopeless without God. I will confess it to the world. I am hopeless without God's wisdom. I do not have the natural smarts to know how to live life on this planet successfully without God's wisdom. So we call out to God. And we ask God for wisdom. And we lay hold of it because guess what? It's a promise. I'm not second guessing will he give it to me. He promised he would. 
End of story. God promised if you ask him, he will give you wisdom. How many of us go through difficulties in life, challenges and hard times, and we try to work it all out ourselves? And we're trying to make right choices, and we're trying to make right decisions, and we're trying, but we don't stop and ask God and go, God, you promised you'd give me wisdom. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to stand. I'm going to believe. God, you said you'd give me wisdom. It's a promise from God. It's an inclusive promise. It's an inclusive promise for all of us. Ask God for wisdom. How many of us go through the most difficult situations of life living as if that promise doesn't exist? We don't even ask him. We don't even ask him. Acts 2, 38, 39. This is one of my favorite promises in the Bible. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. This is when, when, when Peter preached and the crowds gathered together on the day of Pentecost. He says, each of you must repent. The crowd said to him, what do we do? He said, you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Did you know the Holy Spirit is a promise from God to you? If you have repented, if you have turned away from sin, if you have given your heart to God, guess what? God has made a promise to you. The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. It's a promise from God. What a great promise. In the beginning was God. The Spirit of God hovered above the waters. And now the Spirit of God decides to hang out inside of you. What a great promise. There are so many promises in the Word of God for us. The problem is we treat this like any other book. We treat it like any other book. Matter of fact, I reckon, I wonder if I was to weigh up how much reading I do in a week, how much time do I spend in this, and how much time do I spend in rugby league week or shooters magazine or new idea, Northern Star. There's some, yet here I have here some wonderful, precious promises from God. Things that God wants to say to me. Things that God wants to reveal to me. This is like a book full of your promised land. And how many of us don't know what is ours because we just don't prioritise our time in the book. We don't go and look and search through it and find what God... Let me tell you something. How many of you have ever done a lolly hunt for kids? Anyone ever done a lolly hunt? I, love, I used to love lolly hunts. Not that I eat lollies, but you know what you do in a lolly hunt? Here's what you do. You go out when the kids are all in the back room and you go out and you scatter lollies around the garden. Okay? And you put them everywhere. And then you come in and you say to the kids, lolly hunt! And the kids all run out and they're running all around trying to find lollies. You know, when you do a lolly hunt, here's the thing. You're not trying to hide the lollies from the kids. You're hiding the lollies for the kids. You know, there's so much stuff in here for you. God hasn't hidden it from you. He's hidden it for you. To get into this book and to discover. To find out who you really are. Who are you really? You're who God says you are. To find out what God has for you. 
Find out what God's plans are for the world, his purposes. It's all in this book here. Let me, let me just give you a couple of really quick facts about the Bible, then I'm going to finish up. You know, wars have been fought over this book. Wars, literally. If you've got a Bible, just hold it in your hand for a second. Put it in your hand. Wars have been fought over this book. Nations have gone to war. Civil wars have taken place over the words in this book. It's powerful. I've never heard of a war over a new idea or the Northern Star or the latest Tom Clancy book. But there have been wars literally fought over this book. People have tried throughout history to eliminate its presence from entire nations. Why would you do that? There's got to be something about it. Got to be something about it. There are nations in the world where people gather around one or two pages in groups under a candle because it's all they've got. They don't even have Bibles in their own languages. But they've got one or two pages and they gather around that like a church and they read and read and read and that's all they've got. But you know what? They're hungry for it. They're hungry for it. They want to know what God's word says. They want to know what God's word says to them and how they can find God through his word. There are nations of people who are crying out for it to be translated at the moment, still not translated into all nations. And how many of these have you got in your house? I can tell you right now, I've probably got at least 10. Different translations, different styles, different uh, study versions. And there are nations on earth where they don't even have one. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's a great book. It's more than just a book. It's the thoughts and the intentions and the heart of God. Wycliffe Bible translators estimate that there's around 180 million people on planet Earth who have no Bible translated in their mother tongue. 180 million people still don't have a Bible in their language. Another 1.5 billion do not have access to the full Bible in their mother tongue. Just a, a book or a few verses or a few pages. This book you're holding in your hand, let me give you some facts about it. It was written by 66... There's 66 books in this. It's not one book, 66 books. Written by over 40 different authors. Over 40 different people have written this thing. It's been written over a period of 1,600 years. 1,600 years by 40 different people on three different continents, Asia, Africa and Europe. That's this book you're holding in your hand. It's been translated into the English language for you. It's been written from palaces. Part of it was written from the wilderness. Some of it was written by guys in prison, in dungeons, with rats and infestations. It's been written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew and Aramaic. And here's the funny, amazing thing. It has a consistent story right from start to finish. Isn't that amazing? What are the chances of 40 people over 1,600 years on three different continents in three different languages and they all come up with the same thing. That's an amazing book. One of the reasons why we don't know what we have is because we don't go looking. We don't go looking. My challenge today for us, get into this thing. Get into this book. Get into it. There are precious promises in here for you. There is stuff in this book about you that you don't even know about you and you're not going to know it until you get into the word of God and you allow the spirit of God to open your eyes and let you see. James says that the word of God, he said it's like a mirror. He said it's like looking into a mirror. 
You know, this morning before I came here, I looked into a mirror and I had a hairy face. And so I put some white stuff on and I shaved it all off and made myself look nice and beautiful to stand here before you. I missed a bit. I've got a, I've got a gap in the razor, apparently. I, I, it doesn't matter which one I use, it always comes out like this. But I looked at myself in the mirror and I made myself... I saw a reflection of who I was. And James says that's what happens when we get into this. We see a reflection of who we are, of who we really are. There are so many things that God has for us, so many promises. The first thing that we need to do before we can take a hold of the promised land, before we can lay hold of what God has for us, is understand what's yours. And there's no greater way to find out what is yours in God than to get into his word and get into his presence. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord. And uh, God, once again, I want to thank you, Lord, that, um, Father, we are sitting here, God, right now. We have the Word of God on, in books. Lord, we have it on tablets. We have it on phones. Uh, God, we have it on big screens. We've got it on little screens. Lord, we've got it audio. We put it in the car and we listen to somebody else read it to us. Father, we have so much access to your Word. Uh, yet, God, I'm, I'm sure as you look down upon us in the West that the access way, way outweighs the usage of it, God. So, Father, I pray for each of us in this room, Lord, that we would not take for granted what it is that we have here in the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, you would challenge us, you would motivate us to get into your Word. Father, to have a look at what you say about us, what you say about our lives. God, to have a look at the promises, the precious, precious promises that you have made to us, Father. And that, God, you'd teach us how to stand on them, how to believe them, God, and how to appropriate them, God, so that we wouldn't just be people that look at the promised land from a distance, but, God, we'd be the people that walk into it in our own personal world and we lay claim to it and we lay a hold of it, Father. We thank you for this day, God, and thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Uh, connects and you, you no youth this week youth is off because of because of the anniversary and stuff but you did hear it from them the offer's there you can go and join them if you'd like to you threw it out that yes be yes and you know be known people um, God bless you guys you can keep sitting if you want I'm not going to tell everyone to go but church is over <laughs>